We're reading today from uh, Matthew chapter 13, and Sue is going to come and uh, give us the reading this morning. Thank you. Parable of farmer scattering seed. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered round him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his fields, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they'll have an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, even with what little understanding they have, it will be taken away from them. That's why I use these parables. For they look and they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you hear, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now, listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then, The evil one comes and snatches away the seeds that were planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. But the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Just for a moment, let us take Jesus out of the first century setting and let's bring Jesus into the 21st century. And let's suppose... Use your imaginations here. Let's suppose that one day Jesus is preaching in the street and a TV news reporter comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we only have 30 seconds before the commercial break. 
Can you give us, in a sentence or two, what your message is all about? I wonder what Jesus would answer. I wonder what he would say. He might say, we all need to rethink the direction of our lives as individuals. And we need to rethink the direction of our lives as a society. Because the kingdom of God is here. But the reporter would respond by saying, Okay, okay. But, how would you exactly define this kingdom of God? And Jesus, we've got just 15 seconds left. And Jesus answers, Well, the kingdom of God is like a man with two sons. And Jesus gets a few sentences into the story and the reporter interrupts him and cuts to the commercial break. Jesus blew his chance to turn his message into a soundbite. But off camera this reporter is curious and asks Jesus to finish the story with the man and the two sons. And the reporter is utterly intrigued by this and suggests that they go off and have a coffee together and carry on the conversation. And he says that was a fascinating story. Can I ask you again though, how do you define the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is just like a woman who was baking bread. No, 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 stop, said the reporter. I don't want to know what it is like. I want to know what it is. And Jesus smiles and says, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Growing in your garden. You see, confession is good for the soul, so they say. And I'm making a confession this morning. And my confession is, Jesus isn't always easy to understand. I don't know if you've ever thought the same. I'd actually go further than that and say that there are occasions when I feel that Jesus is being deliberately elusive. That he's hard to pin down. Some people might say that he's rather abstract or opaque or obscure or vague I even find myself asking on times does Jesus really want people to understand him and if I didn't know Jesus as well as I know him I might be tempted to ask is Jesus doing what you know very often politicians do you know what it happens don't you they're asked a question on television about some subject and they answer and you sort of get roughly what they're talking about but they never seem to answer in a straightforward way what they say seems plausible but the answers that they give seem to evade us they, they vaporize they are intangible and we might think to ourselves what on earth what, what did they say actually what did he say what did she say you know I regularly speak uh, in public as I'm doing just now and when I'm doing that, I will make every effort to speak in ways that people before me would understand, very conscious of my audience. And I, along with other speakers, would use PowerPoint slides, as I'm using this morning. Perhaps on occasions we would use video clips, real-life stories, humor to help the message be understood. As the old song goes, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way. You're far too young, obviously, to remember that song. But there are times 
there are times and occasions when I actually feel that Jesus seems to delight in leaving us confused. Or is it perhaps only me that reads the Bible this way? Why is that? Why is that? And that, in a sense, is the, the question that I'm wanting to look at this morning and how that applies to our lives. And the, the title of my talk this morning is The Hidden Message of the Kingdom. It was Jesus, if uh, Sue had continued on the reading there in um, Matthew chapter 13, she would have come to this verse, verse 44, where Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And when we listen to Jesus, when we read the words of Jesus in the scriptures, there is a certain hiddenness. But then we discover the treasure. And when we discover the treasure, it changes absolutely everything. And we will give everything for that. So, this morning I just want to explore um, three ways in which Jesus communicated his all-important central message of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to those in the first century and then see what we can learn from this and apply this to our own lives. The um, three ways of exploring the message that Jesus communicated. Firstly, we're going to be looking at through Jesus' private conversations that are recorded in the Gospel. Secondly, through the way that Jesus answered other people's questions. Uh, I was amazed, actually, as I did some study this week to note some of these things and uh, uh, they may be as much of a surprise to you as well. And thirdly, through the parables. But let's start with a couple of conversations that most of you, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you will know these stories. <coughs> Firstly, the story of Nicodemus. You know that great chapter in the Bible which is well worn. John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. He visited Jesus at night. He was utterly intrigued with Jesus and he asked Jesus, um, he, well, he said to him, you're a great teacher, Jesus. Uh, very impressed with your miracles. Very clear that God is with you. But Jesus doesn't respond to Nicodemus and say, well, thanks, Nicodemus. Thanks for your encouragement. I'm really encouraged by your words. Thanks for the compliment. What Jesus actually says to Nicodemus after hearing this was, um, unless you are born again, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, last week we discovered that there are some scriptural phrases that we as Christians very often get wrong when we look at those uh, phrases in the scriptures. One that we looked at two weeks ago was the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, which is found many, many, many times in Matthew's Gospel. And very often when we see that, the kingdom of heaven, we automatically think of the afterlife. We think of one day in the sweet by and by we will meet Jesus after we die. And it doesn't mean that at all. And the other, uh, there's another term in, in John's Gospel which is often used and misunderstood by Christians. It's the term eternal life. Again, it's thought of life after this life rather than the real abundant life that commences now on earth. And here, in this story with Nicodemus, we find another example of a frequently misunderstood by Christians uh, phrase. And that is, born again. You see, many Christians equate those words born again to saying a prayer at the end of a church service 
when one commits one's life to Jesus, or maybe not in a church, maybe with your friends, but that time when you say, yes, Jesus, you can have the rest of my life. And that's the way that many Christians will see that. They will see born again as an adjective, uh, a describing word, uh, or a way of describing. Um, You will sometimes hear people saying, I am a born again Christian. But you see, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he wasn't giving Nicodemus some new status in life. He wasn't giving him an adjective. And, you know, with Nicodemus perhaps saying, well, hello, my name is Nicodemus, I'm a born-again Christian. No, it wasn't in that way at all. What Jesus was saying when he said to Jesus, you must be born again, it was not an adjective to describe him in some way, it was a verb. It was a doing word. So, in effect, what he was saying is this. Nicodemus, I see that you're a religious man. You're a respected teacher yourself. But if you are hoping to receive this eternal life, this abundant life, this wonderful life, this extraordinary life of the kingdom, if you want to receive that, then Nicodemus, you need to go back to the very beginning. You need to become like a baby all over again. You need to unlearn everything. You need to relearn everything and be retaught. That's what Jesus was saying there to Nicodemus. Now, some of you are looking confused. Maybe you were born like that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Who am I looking at? No, I'm not looking at anyone. Right? Okay. So if you are already confused with what I've just said, you know, spare a thought for a moment for poor Nicodemus. He'd only been with Jesus a matter of a few seconds and he was utterly confused. What do you mean? How on earth am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb? What do you you mean be born again? Uh, Don't understand. Really don't understand. And you see, the problem that I have and you have and Nicodemus had was that we are listening to the message of Jesus and Jesus' words are so often hidden in strange metaphors. Okay, we're in a better place than Nicodemus because, you know, we've looked at this, we've studied it, we've got 2,000 years on our side. But, you know, to be told that there and then, whoa, we would have been in the same place as Nicodemus. What, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Doesn't make sense. There's another story, actually, in the following chapter of John's Gospel. On this occasion, John chapter 4, in, on this occasion, Jesus got talking to a, a Samaritan woman at the well. And he asked her, after the conversation ensues, if you, um, uh, he asked her for a drink. And then um, he says to her, if you knew who I am, you'd ask me for living water. What on earth is that supposed to mean? If you are that woman at the well and someone comes up to me and you ask me for living water, you would be scratching your head wondering, what's he talking about? In fact, it was fairly obvious she didn't know what he was talking about because her reply was, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is deep. Where, where would he get this living water? Totally did not understand. So why should Jesus be so unclear and hide his message in metaphors? 
And I've just picked out two examples there, but you will find it in the Scriptures, time after time, conversation after conversation, that Jesus seems to resist being direct or clear. And there's hardly a question that he answers simply. He will either answer a question with another question or a question with a parable and full of metaphors. But why does Jesus do that? You know, if the kingdom of heaven and its message is so important, if it's a matter of life or death, then why hide it in such a vocative language which is so metaphorical? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I say, I, I was just amazed this week when I did some study of how many times in the Gospels that Jesus answers a straightforward question with another question. Have you noticed that? I made a list. There were 29 occasions. There may be more. I might have missed some. Let me give you some examples. I won't, I won't give you all 29, but let me give you a flavour of this. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of a bridegroom mourn when he is with them? So again, there's that question with a question. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? No question. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Mark chapter 12, verse 14. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of, in, uh, of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right that we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Jesus, they replied, and Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. We know the story again in Luke chapter 2, the story of when Jesus was about 12 years old and he was uh, a lad and he went missing for three days and he was in the temple debating with the rabbis. And we read in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 48, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. What did Jesus say? Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I'll tell you what, if one of our kids answered like that, they would have been groaning for a month. <laughs> or I left them in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. 
Luke chapter 20. One day he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him and said, Teach us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? One last example. John 18, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Okay, you get the drift. But I'll say, I, I located 29 examples of that. I've just given you eight. Time and time and time again, Jesus is doing this. So what's going on here? Why are these uh, questions so important? Well, I believe that Jesus knew that the way that we can best learn about God is not from getting ready-made answers or being told what to believe or being presented with a doctrinal statement of faith. Jesus actually is enticing his conversation partners to think deeper and to reflect more and to engage in conversation and to persevere in their search for the truth. And you see, we learn, I believe, by daring to follow those questions that we have in our hearts and by entering into conversation. And that's why I think that Alpha courses and the like are so utterly brilliant opportunity to have a meal together and enter into a conversation. One evening this week, I was invited by a church family to come over and to have a chat and a coffee, a chat about all things biblical and theological. I wish they had, you know, when I got into the house, there was a whole list of questions that we wanted to talk about. I wish I'd known that before. I probably wouldn't have come. But, you know, so there was this whole, it was a lot of preparation done there. And it, it was brilliant. It really was great. And... I was thrilled, really, to uh, hear some of the questions which I thought were really thoughtful. There were questions which were out of the box. And the younger people in the family were wrestling with issues of scripture and theology and trying to work out their faith in 2016. And another lovely thing that I... I'm not going to embarrass who they are. Another lovely thing that I found with this was that they were prepared not to accept the tired old answers that they had heard a hundred times before. And it was a brilliant evening. And yet, on some occasions, after a great discussion, <laughs> we got to that place still scratching our heads and saying, OK, <laughs> we really don't know on this. We were left by asking more questions. And I know that some people are a little bit like that fictitious TV news reporter that I spoke about right at the start. And all that they want about the Christian faith is a straight answer. They want easy explanations. They want certainty. They don't want discussion and stories and things like that. But I believe that it's out of the conversation that we have and it's out of community with others that we actually discover the secrets of the kingdom. And that's why I think it is so utterly brilliant for everybody to be a part of a life group during a week. So important. You know, undoubtedly, Jesus could have answered uh, questions directly. 
but he knew what was the best thing for them. The things which would cause them to grow most and to become mature. Okay, let's come to the third area. Jesus spoke to them in parables. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, it says that Jesus did not say anything to them without using a parable. So why does Jesus do that? I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Why, why did Jesus just tell those stories? What was going on here? Well, Matthew uh, tells us then uh, twice actually in, in chapter 13. He gives us a phrase. And the phrase is this. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now those are the toughest words in the entire bare Bible for a Welshman to read. You know that, don't you? Because where I come from is, he was yours to hear, let him hear. All right? <laughs> That's the way all South Walians say that. <laughs> That's fact. And it's taken me about 20 years not to say that. And still I slip into my old ways. You see, Jesus, what he is saying, what is he saying by these words? He is saying, don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your heart. Don't just hear words, but hear the deeper meaning. And that requires personal investment of time and effort and imagination. The disciples, as Sue read to us earlier, they hear this parable of the sower but they can't figure it out on their own. They really are, they're listening with their ears, but they're not really understanding what Jesus is talking about when he speaks of the parable of the sower. So they come to Jesus and ask a question. You would think that the question, the most obvious question they would ask Jesus, what does this mean? Can you give us some clarity? Or can you explain that, please? But that is not the question that they asked him. The question they asked him was this. Why? Do you speak to the people in parables? Not what do you mean, why do you do it? What's this all about? <coughs> and Jesus gives a wonderful answer to that. <coughs> Verse 11. This is Jesus' answer to that question. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. And then Jesus quotes the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy straight after that. So, there we go. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. My word. If they were confused before... I don't think they were any of the more enlightened after Jesus had just given them the answer why he speaks in parables. What's all this? <laughs> the secrets of the kingdom, given to some but not to others. Those who have will be given more. Those who don't have won't have. What's going on here, Jesus? Why is Jesus so discriminating? Is he playing favorites? And how does all this relate to speaking in parables? Actually, they had more questions at the end than they had at the beginning. Probably a little bit like my visit to the family this week. 
you know, together we were, oh my word. Because trying to answer that, then there's this question. Let's just stop there for a moment. Amongst this church, in this room this morning, there are three groups of people. You know that, don't you? First of all, there are those people who are hooked on this. Your mind is racing. You're wrestling with these words. You truly want to dig deeper. You need to understand more than you do at this moment. And there are some people like that. Probably looking at your faces, about four of us. Okay? All right? Then there's a second group. The second group is saying, who cares about all this stuff? With a sort of a nonchalant shrug of the shoulders. Steve, why don't you entertain us? Tell us stories. Make us laugh. Make us feel good. Inspire us. And then there's the third group. The third group, they're the ones already sleeping. So let's not wake them up. But you see, those that uh, listened to Jesus fell into these first two groups. There were those who were eager to learn more. And there were those who didn't hear anything because of the hardness of their hearts and they had no desire to really hear what Jesus was speaking about. They heard his words, but they didn't really understand. So why did Jesus speak in parables? Why were his sayings and stories often subtle and indirect? Why were they anything but straightforward? And the answer to that, I believe, is because Jesus' message through the parables and through other parts of Scripture are not merely aimed at conveying information to us. But these stories sought to do something far more important than just convey information to the hearers. They were aimed at spiritual transformation. Yeah? It's not just information. You know, you can answer that. You know, you can give somebody a, a, um, a statement of faith if you want to give them information. But Jesus was about far more than that. And he was about your spiritual transformation. He was wanting to entice his hearers into new territory. And that's what parables do. And that's what the teaching of Jesus does. In our day as well as in his own day. It causes us to ask further questions. It causes us to reflect and to ponder and to think again and to chew through. And we come back to God and we ask God for his help and his insight. And we continue to be dependent on Jesus you know remember what Jesus said to those little children he said the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I tell you the truth anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it and children we know what they they take everything on trust they are dependent on us adults they can't learn Unless they're asking questions. Children are curious and they're inquisitive. Amelie and Elijah are curious about just about everything. They really are. Grandad, how does that train work? Grandad, how do birds fly in the air? Grandad, how do babies get in mummy's tummies? Grandad doesn't know everything. You should ask your daddy that question. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> All those questions. You have many more. <laughs> but you see, Jesus invites us on a journey of discovery. 
and he desires that we are curious and inquisitive. And he doesn't make it easy for us. Going back again to the story of uh, the Pharisee Nicodemus in John chapter, chapter 3. That is, I believe, why Jesus said that he needed to be born again. Born anew. In other words, rethink. Reconsider. Start all over again. Become like a child. Because otherwise he would not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Now please, when you think of kingdom of God, again, don't think of heaven. It's into God's special people here on earth who have a set of values and visions which are so different to that which the world lives by. Here's a question to challenge your grey matter this morning. Do you think that we as Christians need to be born again? And again, and again. And the reason, or the way that I'm asking that question is in the way that Jesus used the term in John chapter 3 and not the way that most evangelical Christians use that term today. Okay? Enjoy that one in your life groups this week. I'm sure you will. You see, parables both reveal and conceal the message of the kingdom of heaven. And with those that have a desire to know, and with those... who want to wrestle, who have the attitude of heart of Jacob, I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. Those people are given greater understanding. But to those who are either too lazy or too prejudiced or can't be bothered, the truth is concealed, it's hidden. And that's what that passage means in Matthew chapter 13. Brian McLaren says that the greatest genius of a parable is this, and I'll put the words, his words up. But it doesn't grab you by the lapels and scream in your face, Repent, you vile sinner! Turn or burn! Rather, it works gently, subtly, indirectly. It respects your dignity. It doesn't batter you into submission, but it leaves you free to discover and choose yourself, for yourself. You see, the parables that Jesus told invite us, they attract us. Any of the writings of Jesus, as recorded in the scriptures, they intrigue us, they entice us, they challenge us. But the one thing they'll never do is force us. Now, I started off right at the very beginning saying that um, Jesus wasn't always easy to understand. And there are times, I must say, and I've been a follower of Jesus for the best part of four decades, there are times when I'm left scratching my head. Lord, what did you mean? I might have been at that passage many, many times before. Lord, Lord, what are you getting at here? That's the beauty of them. Lord, why, why couldn't have you answered that question so simply? Why couldn't you give a straightforward answer? Why did you have to answer with a question there? Why did he have to do that? And by the way, I, I think lots of Christians actually get this wrong. Parables and not these illustrations that Jesus gave in order for us to see a little bit better. Much way in a speaker on a Sunday morning would give an illustration to highlight something. No, they're not meant for that, I believe. But parables are actually designed to tease us. They get under our skin. They tantalize us and provoke us and entice us. And in doing so, what do they do? They draw us closer to Jesus. You can see the incredible wisdom here, can't you? You see, there is a kind of Christianity 
There's a kind of Christianity that has reduced Jesus and reduced the message of the kingdom to a formula. If you do this, you're in. If you say that prayer, you'll get to heaven. If you believe these doctrines, you'll be fine. Seven steps to victorious Christian living. Five ways to get God to answer your prayer. Twelve principles to be a man or a woman of God and the like. And if we're honest with ourselves, there, many of these ways are quite tempting. Because what we want is fast, painless, effortless information that would lead to our spiritual growth. And not slow, engaging transformation, which is God's way. Human kingdoms advanced by force and violence, with bombs falling and flying bullets. But God's kingdom, God's kingdom within us, advances through, through stories. Stories that entice us to trust him more and to journey with him through life. And what I've been speaking about this morning doesn't require some kind of altar call. It doesn't require some public declaration of our faith. It doesn't require us to come to the front of the church and to be prayed for. But it does require all of us to allow the words of Jesus to penetrate our hearts and for us not to give up too easily. I quoted him once before. I'm going to just conclude. Time has gone. Let me just, this is another great quote from Brian McLaren in his book, The Secret Message of Jesus. He says, is it possible that Jesus was intentionally keeping his message of the kingdom a secret so that it wasn't obvious, wasn't easy to grasp, wasn't like a simple mathematical formula that can quickly be learned and repeated? Is it possible that the message of Jesus was less like an advertising slogan, obvious and loud, and more like a poem whose meaning only comes subtly and quietly to those who read slowly? Think long and deeply and refuse to give up. Just look at that for a moment. What a great, great quote. What a great question. Food for thought and a challenge for us this morning.